I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Just be sitting up there jacked with Pepsi. <laughs> I'm there for the pack out. You just got to pack me in. Committed to the boat early on. Like, I love getting close and putting up. You cover a range of stuff on here, too, right? Like, we call this the uh, the THP World Headquarters. You know, my grandpa, Roy Weatherby. I came into, like, that golden little pocket where there was, like, four or five different bowls. Just... You're Canadian? We're doing yeah, a Canadian I... podcast? My name's Douglas Fogg. I'm Robbie Denning. Rolf Gandhi. So, uh, lots going on down here. Um, as you guys all know, um, got Kelowna. It's not as bad as West Kelowna. West Kelowna, they're in bad shape. They're kind of burning to the ground. So, uh, I just want to say, you know, hearts and prayers are going out to everybody out there and and everybody who's fighting, uh, helping fight the forest fire. I know those um, those frontline workers, they don't, they definitely don't have an easy, easy go right now. And man, you see some of the video and, and stuff that they're going through and also people getting kicked out of their houses. It's uh, pretty shocking. And and like we were talking before I hit record Tanner, um, when you're put in that situation, like we, we weren't far from the evacuation alert line. And, you know, when you, when you're forced into a situation, I know, you know, you were, you're a military guy, Tanner, and like you're putting these, these situations and like, obviously there's certain certain things that in the military that you go through that are nothing like what I'm personally going through right now. But, you know, a lot of people who've lost their homes, who've been evacuated, you know, it's a lot to handle. So, um, you know, uh, again, my, you know, just thoughts are with everybody out there who's lost their house and, and who who's on evac alert and, and all the frontline workers out there who are fighting the good fight. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good reminder how important, those people are and you know the volunteers volunteer fire firefighters and that those those departments and you know the whole that whole side of it and giving back and hopefully hopefully uh the province is better for it but you know it's tough to see when it's when it's happening now you know when the fire is in front of your face it's pretty hard to grasp the whole everything that's going on across the entire province it's, it's terrible yeah. it's a hard yeah, situation and 100 i mean it's not just it'd be one thing if it was just Kelowna that was experienced this, but I mean, you look everywhere, like you look to the, where I'm in Kelowna here. So if you look a little Northwest of us and like the shoe swap and like Kamloops, I mean, they're like that shoe swap fire is rolling through and it's 
destroying everything and you know um even south of us i know spoke there's a big giant fire in spokane area uh and then you go up even further north i mean you know the northwest territories Yellowknife. i mean it just right now it just seems to be everywhere and then you look even down further south they got this hurricane unprecedented hurricane rolling through and <laughs> and sweeping the coast of of california and it's like man Right now, Mother Nature, she's pissed off. She's fucking not happy with somebody. Somebody oh. pissed her off. <laughs> Holy fuck, it's, man. Somebody better start apologizing now. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, even where you are, Pete, how's, how's things uh, out there with, with those fires? The uh, panorama there, we, we are more concerned about panorama with that wind shift because those big winds that kicked up your fire there, they came to us about a day later. And, uh, man there's trees down everywhere like in town the whole nine yards it was it was gnarly and uh but luckily for whatever reason the fire didn't hop the top of the mountain because it's right on the one side of the mountain panorama is yeah. right on the other side so luckily for whatever reason it didn't jump over the top which it should have but it didn't so right now they're not too too worried about that one and the other ones that are surrounding us we got one down by spill machine and stuff that's on the right side of the valley if you want to call it that most of the homes are on like the east side and uh -huh. there's a few farms and all that kind of stuff for sure on the on the other side but as of right now it's kind of it's staying where it's okay Good. and yeah we got a couple other fires that are in the, kind of the next drainage is over and they're not going to harm they won't they won't touch us but man they're wreaking havoc on the back country that's for sure they're getting bigger and bigger and then yeah. that new one i told you about yeah. it's kind of in the back of where we were going to hunt you know part of it anyway it went from 43 hectares in one day to the next day. It was almost 800, just less than 24 hours because it's steep, steep country out yeah. there. It's, yeah, what do you that's do? That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. You get, like, the dry conditions that we've had here in British Columbia mixed with the topography, like, just the the crazy mountainous steep hills, and then you get that wind, and it's just, like, it's a perfect storm. Yeah. It's just horrible. Um well, and I, and I wonder if like, and maybe it'll be a good wake up call for, you know, other places around the world or whatever, like we, where we are in BC, like we talk about on the hunting side all the time, but so much of this area is so inaccessible or just really in such remote, like there's one logging road going into an area or whatever it is. Like, how do you fight a fire in there when yeah. you're basically bushwhack, bushwhacking through burn down or blow down and all this other stuff? Like we're, we're in a, you know it's a good reminder about the kind of province we live in and how remote we actually yeah. are up here, even though we think, you know, like I, I, so I'm here in Prince George and, you know, I think it's a big city to me. It's a big city. Well, it's not, it's like 70,000 people in the middle of yeah. Northern BC. Right. But yeah. it's uh, it's a good reminder for sure on that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, and it's not, it's not like the majority like our population is like our, our province is kind of unique. And like for the American listeners who don't understand how the landscape works is like we have a province that is basically the size of like um, probably Washington, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming combined in terms of square kilometers. And then you put that and then we have 4 million people, but they're in a place that's the tiniest little corner of the province. And so the rest of it is like you said, I mean, it's, it's untouched, it's remote. And like you live in probably you live in Prince George, which is kind of like, if you were just to put a pin mark on the center of the province is basically where that is a little further south, yeah. but it's 70,000 people, which is a lot like Pr Prince George is a big town for Northern British Columbia. And that, but you get outside of that. I mean, you get Fort St. John who has a little more, but there's, there's 
so many there's so much landscape that's just untouched by people and yeah like how you get into those areas and what do you do you can't do anything it's just yeah yeah, yeah let it burn it's and you know honestly the, i think one of the main reasons i think that we're getting these huge fires and stuff people will say global warming all that kind of stuff but one of the main reasons that I'm going to speak for where I am here, because I see it firsthand, it's because for the last 50 years, anytime a fire is sparked up, you just put it out right away and you put it out right away. Well, over that 50 years, you get all those branches, you get all that, uh, that ground fuel just accumulating, accumulating on the ground because it's never burnt off naturally. And that's mother nature's natural cycle. And all of a sudden when it builds up enough and you get a fire in there, it's so big and hot. It doesn't matter what you throw at it. You're not stopping it. It's just going to go, mm -hmm. but it sets up a nice fire guard. When you look into the future for the next time, yes, another fire may roll through there, but it's going to be a lot smaller and it's going to affect a lot less people just because, you know, everything's been burnt up for the most part. So there's a, there's a huge factor there too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I was talking to a buddy and it's like, well, it's a hard way for wild sheep to get all of its prescribed burns done in one year. But I mean, in reality, this is stuff that they've been talking about for eight, nine, 10 years to try and get done. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, for sure. So, but I mean, yeah, hopefully it's, I know there's a lot of people right now that are, you know, <laughs> the fires are interrupting their hunt and um, we were kind of talking to where we're kind of laughing about it there. And um, yeah, I mean, I, does this affect your your background i mean in the get in the in the big scheme of things who gives a shit if people if your hunt plans have to change or you know if if your hunt's not going to work out this year if you finally got that lah and now you can't go because there's a fire i mean in reality it's it's pretty minor compared to the in comparison to what's going on but that area that you have your drop he is it affected by fire yep yeah i've yeah. got two of those fires are in there for sure right now and might be able to hunt a little part of it um but yeah for the most part it's it's more i could have gone back into that area yesterday to set cameras but why yeah it's, you know like it, something jumps from 40 some hectares to 700 and something and i have to go through another fire the edge of the you know not where it's actually burning but you know in a pinch point area where the other big big fire that's been burning for a month now it's right there and it's just like is it really worth it yeah i'd yeah. rather go in cold you know, going in a month when I'm when my holidays are planned in there anyway. Hopefully, there's been a bunch of rain. The cool weather's coming, and that'll help things out. But I'd much rather go back there at that point than take a risk now because it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So switching gears here a little bit, Tanner. Um, what's new uh, with Frontiersman Gear? I know you've been on the show, man, probably closing in on two years ago now. So it's been a it's been a while. We never got a chance to. I know we talked back and forth about coming on the show and life kind of got lifey. I know you're extremely busy. You had a lot of, a lot of new and exciting stuff going on, um, not with just like yourself personally and, and the business. So just kind of bring us up to speed with what's new with you. Yeah. Thanks. No, it's, uh, it's always fun coming on here. It's, uh, it's, it was weird when I was looking through my emails and seeing the last time that you sent like, yeah, podcast requests. I'm like, man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. A lot yeah. has happened. Yeah. Um, yeah. So since last time I was on here, we bought, uh, we bought some property out here, uh, property out here in uh, north of Prince George. We we been basically for the last 16, 18 months, just full full out trying to build a new production shop out here. So we've set the ground groundwork to build like a nineteen hundred square foot production shop with a storefront lounge, and then with an actual full scale, good way to ramp up production. 
uh, production facility in the back. And yeah, that's been, that's been uh, the number one goal here. And it's, it's been interesting for sure, but we're, uh, we're rolling and we've got just trying to meet demand by hiring employees and hiring the right guys. And then training new guys is the biggest problem is trying to find new apprentices to try and train under the, the same craft that we do. But that's uh that's where we're going. It's been a crazy, crazy blow up, it seems, in the last couple of years. And it's uh I feel grateful for it. I feel lucky. I don't know how the hell it happens sometimes, but I mean I'm I'm not gonna, you know, look a gift horse in the mouth. I'm gonna take it and just run with it. So it's been uh it's been amazing, man. It's yeah, it's, it's looking good. Future's yeah, well, bright up it, here for sure. It's hard work, you know, and that's the thing is like success doesn't happen overnight it it compounds and it's like takes years and years and years of like hard work and like it's funny a lot of people will look at where you are now and where you've you've built a company and like personally where you are and financially and all this stuff where you are and like yeah obviously you still have goals and you want to get better and like as as you as things evolve like you'll have a goal that's here but once you reach it then you set a goal for here and then like down somebody looking at where you are right now they're like oh man like that you know he, he's got it made and like everything just kind of fell in line for him they don't see the, the all the hard work that happened yeah. behind the scenes and like even before you started frontiersman gear like the work put into like just like everything like like learning the process of building knives because it's not like you just woke up one day and you're like oh shit i'm gonna start a, a knife company and i have no idea how to build a fucking knife and you know what i mean so um, yeah, I mean, the accolades definitely come from hard work and, um, yeah, you've definitely earned it. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. It's, and I mean, and it'll never end. Like I know the kind of person that I am, if it's, you know, if yeah. I have any time, it's just going to get filled with something else anyway. So it works out well because I just put it towards the business and then I'll yeah. just keep pushing this shit and keeping fire on the, uh, or keeping fuel on the fire and just pushing as hard as I can. But no, it's good. We're we're shooting to be um we, we wanted to have the storefront side of it open for hunting season this year. Didn't work out with the construction side. We got some delays and then uh low manpower. Just yeah. uh so that that's what it is when you're building yourself. But mm-hmm. so yeah. basically we're just gonna run through this winter and finish up the storefront and then have a nice grand opening in the spring and nice. and then it'll be really it'll be boots on the ground after that with just yeah, it'll be a good ramp up. Like I look at the growth that's happened in the last four years and the growth that I want to happen and is going to happen in the next like six to 12 months. And I'm like, well, it's going to be a whole nother new business yeah. in the next in the next 12 months. So yeah, it's good. It, it gets exciting for sure. And yeah, that's a good time to open too. I, I feel, you know, like that's right in time for spring bear, um, you know, and, and seems like the last couple of years, spring bears be get, getting more and more traction, especially up here in British Columbia. I mean, like we have a great opportunity to, to hunt bears in bc i mean number one there's a ton of them right we get two tags so um yeah i mean i i know for myself i i get pretty excited i mean when you're sitting around and you're locked up all winter and you haven't been able to hunt and then all of a sudden april 1st rolls around it gets pretty exciting for the opportunity to get out and get back in the back country and start chasing critters again i know um so that's a good time to open yeah yeah i think so it'll be fun um okay well the reason we brought you on the show was um it is i guess 10 days now this is august 20th that we're recording so we got uh elk open september 1st and now for uh for the archery i guess i'm not sure about your region up there does it open what's the elk season up there where you are tanner 
Uh, here in Prince George, I don't hunt locally here, which is terrible because mm -hmm. I know people travel from all over to come hunt Prince George, but <laughs> I, I leave here as soon as September 1st hits. Uh, I believe there's a, an early season archery, like uh, September 1st to the 9th or whatever that okay. season is. Right. Same um, as me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's that season here. I don't know. I don't shoot a stick and string, so I don't I don't really follow that too much. But you guys have more dedication than I do on that side. I hate <laughs> the fucking things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I know that. I, it was funny. I, I remember I posted a comment. I had Wardo from Beyond the Kill over one day, and we were messing around with his bow, and I was checking the poundage on that stupid cheap Amazon made in China piece <laughs> of junk. Fucking. Oh man um boat the poundage scale i had the metal piece pulled out of the plastic and like i remember your comedy like this is a good reminder why you shouldn't shoot those fucking things yeah. <laughs> stick to a rifle <laughs> so I, I yeah. love it yeah okay well yeah. let's walk through like let's talk a little bit about like because i mean obviously the people who follow you um they know you're you know you're you're a well-established and well-accomplished elk elk killer um now we've talked about it in this show already. And like for the people who are listening that are outside of BC, BC is a hard place to hunt elk. Like it is, I mean, it's a hard place to navigate. We were talking earlier about just how remote a lot of BC is. It's a hard place to hunt elk, um, low populations. Um, the elk just for me and my experiences, they don't react and they don't act the same as they do in some of those places where the landscape's a little different. There's more elk. So walk us through like um let's just talk a little bit about like your elk season and kind of like what you kind of like how you gear up for it and like the areas you like to you like to hunt and and just kind of like just walk us through what what your typical elk hunt looks like well i think i'm a lot different than most people across this um or at least most people that i've talked to across this i don't I run cameras, but it's not mm -hmm. like not to pattern animals or do anything like that. I just think it's cool. And I like to see what kind of stumbles in during a year. So I'm not putting cameras out during the year. I hunt basically, you draw a line at Prince George and most like I'd say 97% of my hunting in the whole year is north of Prince George. So that's uh, the timber that we're or the country that we're hunting is all up here and just obscenely thick timber nasty shit which i mean most of the province is and then up here is just that diamond willow nasty mm -hmm. underbrush crap so my season like I, i've i'm lucky enough that i've done uh i've done enough hunting and scouting that i have a few different spots and are pretty consistent i know animals are going to be in quite often so i've got one spot that i'll usually go to but my seasonal start just hot um you know I'm, I'm a big fan of hunting pockets and drainages and that kind of thing so i was heading into an area on usually i'll never go in the day before season i always go in the day of season and then start working an area and then seeing just you know between which you guys have talked about lots and i was kind of diving into some of your guys other podcasts but or just that you've done recently like with jordan and you know travis and really fucking really established elk guys but yeah, it's the same. So it's just hunting like where where there's water, vegetation, and it's it, it changes so much in this province. Elk are such a finicky animal as it is. And then, like you said, you add in such low populations. Um, they just, they, I don't know. I, I'm a real fan of just like looking at elk like they're pocketed animals. So trying to find where they are in that map at that time and then just hunting them. And as they change throughout the season is a huge thing for myself too. So 
my year will change like where I'm depending on where the water is. Like I know in one of my spots, this isn't explaining a lot for anybody else. So sorry about this, but like in one of my spots, I'll hunt. I have basically like a, a five kilometer stretch and it, it's, it slopes down to where a river is mm-hmm. and I'll hunt the top side like September 1st. And I can basically account for every four days, those elk are moving a kilometer down that drainage. And you right. can just, I could be hunting that same spot five days later and there's no elk there and they're slowly moving their way down following right. that vegetation or whatever the hell mm-hmm. it is and, and work their way down. So it's it, my, the elk hunting that I do is super, uh, it's not pretty. It, it's just super dynamic and just trying to chase after those, those bulls. And I don't, I don't worry a lot on the calling side. I don't worry mm-hmm. about a lot on the other side. It's just, for me, it's just locating those elk and then just hammering the ground until you basically are within that hundred yard threshold that you can start playing with them because that's the other thing i i i love the information that guys in the states do like jay scott and all these guys like they're absolute just they're geniuses when it comes to the elk side i'd say five percent of it is applicable up here to yeah. bc so yeah it's it's an interesting province to hunt elk for sure yeah and and you hit the nail on the head and like a lot of BC elk hunting, it's not sexy. And like the, a lot of strate- the, a lot of your strategies and stuff you use and like you've evolved and adapted, they're not sexy, but they're effective for killing elk in BC. And like we, for most of the province, you have that six point rule, which makes it extremely harder. Um, you know, there's been many times where, man, if, if we didn't have that six point rule and it was a five, I'd have a lot more elk hanging on my wall. But I mean, it is what it is. And they put those they put those rules in in place for a reason. So, but yeah, like you're right, man. Like you get into areas where it's thick and nasty and like, yeah, it, it makes for an extremely difficult hunt. It's challenging. And it's, it's pretty impressive though, you know, that you can consistently pull elk um, out of the backcountry year after year. So, um, you know, obviously what you're doing is effective and, and, and I like how you talk about um elk in different like every four days they're moving down they're moving down and like but that's that's something that you develop over years of like failing and like okay well what the hell's going on here why are they not here they were just here and like oh they're down here and like that process takes that's trial error process and i think that hunting elk in bc i think that's what a lot of guys are missing and i know there's i know they have that rule of of um yeah for every it's going to take you 10 years to kill one elk but i mean in bc it, it it seems like it's, you know, obviously guys, they don't want to wait that long. They're trying to absorb as much information as they can. And they're, t- they're taking it all in. Like you said, you take in, there's way more information out there about hunting elk in south of the border of, of us, which is completely different. And I, I know from the guests we have, like even, even hunting elk in the northern part of the states is different from hunting elk in the southern part. And we had Jermaine Hodge on a couple of weeks ago and he talked about hunting in Northern Idaho and how his vision he's, you know, he might get elk and you might not be able to see him, you know, till they get to like 20, 30 yards. And I was like, buddy, you come up North, North, like where we are, it's, a, it's thicker than that, but you go up even North, like even further North where you hunt Tanner and it's like 20 feet. It ain't 20 yeah. yards. It's 20 feet. Like there's a big difference. And like, yeah. it's extremely challenging. And, and, and it's interesting that you don't use any calls. So like kind of, you, you just you are you waiting for them are you doing a lot of listening are you you know how like, do you know if there's elk in there yeah so I'll, I'll go into a spot and 
and I'll, I'll still call. It's just so low on my priority list for okay, what I'm yeah. doing. Like, so I'm using how, how I see it is basically, um, so like I'll go into a spot and I'd say 90% of what I'm doing is just location bugle, you know, right. whether you're any time that I'm like moving into a location. So a, a spot that I go into often, it's like a six, seven K hike and I got to get into kind of where I set up camp and I start hunting. Wow, so that dude, whole that's location, a long, long way. Like, <laughs> like your seven K, your seven K <laughs> is a lot further than my seven K down here. Like I hunt elk in the Southern part of the province and like, it's pretty chill. Like I grew up in the Northern part of the province, right? I grew up on the coast Prince Rupert. And so like, I know what hard ass freaking coastal shit looks like, like it's musky. And then not only is it like soft and it's hard to, it's hard to, um, it's hard to navigate. It's just steep and it's, it's just, it's just nasty. So like coming down here, it's like, to me, it's easy. It's like, Oh, well, it's not easy, but it's like, well, it's, it's not nearly anything like it is up where you are the Northern part. So like seven K for you is a lot different than seven K for me down here, <laughs> just to put some, like, just to put some like vault, like validity on what, like what you're explaining is seven K here. So, well, yeah. And like, j just to note that seven K takes you like with, you know, a 40 pound pack, you're just rolling in for a couple of days. So you've got like water, food, whatever, I treat it on borderline like a mountain hunt where you're like going into a spot. Uh, it takes you about three hours to get in there. Like it's, it's, it's nasty. So, um, so you can imagine, you know, with an elk rack on your back, getting out of there, it's a, you know, you're, you're contemplating put a, putting a bullet in the back of your head by the end of it a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, you really love it when you're willing to do that. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, so, whenever i'm like moving through an area whatever that is i'll just like i'm just location bugling that's all i'm doing and never doing it a lot every like max i'm going to do it every half an hour 45 minutes and then you know only when i'm moving to a new location if i'm ever sitting i'm never going to do that and then as i'm moving i'm just i'm using calls like cow calls or whatever it is or just like young bull kind of grunts and that kind of stuff just any vocals to try and half-ass mask my uh mask my movements as i'm moving through just to make sure that you know if i do bump into a bull it doesn't think i'm just a bear tromping through the bush coming at it so that's more more what my game is and then it's just finding for myself where i hunt like i was saying it's it's small pockets where i know they're not leaving so i just want right. to go in there and find their transient trails find where they're getting right. water and then i'm just going to roll those trails as much right. as i can and I'm i'm moving lots like i'm moving right. all day i'm not stopping i'm not you know i'm not often you're going to find me catching a nap midday i'm just going to keep walking those trails <laughs> <laughs> hey man different location maybe nap and work some spots and i mean i, I know a lot anymore. of dudes that it he is never ever gonna live that down ever you're yeah. gonna nap again yeah. Jesus i have one fucking nap one nap Nine hey, days man. in a hey, row. Can't even have you know one the, You know how the saying goes: you could build a mil million bridges, and but you suck one dick, you're not known as a, a bridge builder. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, well, um, I'll just basically roll on those transient trails, keep location bugling. If I, if something chirps off, I'll go go after. But so often, like, I'd say probably out of the out of the last 10 bulls that I've, you know, not killed myself, but, you know, been, whether it was, you know, helping on or whatever it is, I'd say 
six of them didn't even call at all you're just bumping into them they're rolling into you know you're they're hearing you moving or your cow calls and they just kind of silent come in and that's where i talk about especially in the northern part of bc it's not pretty like i mean you can ask yonke on that hunt that that hunt that i had him on last year we were in there four days and you know five days before that i had my i had kennedy my girlfriend in there and we had, you know, six bulls going the whole day. It was like the elk hunter's dream. There was, yeah. you know, that's the shit that you live for a decade trying to get. And it was just absolutely amazing. Four days later, Yonk and the boys come in there and not a peep. We shoot that bull. He still didn't hear a bugle that whole time. And it's like, wow. oh, that's, yeah. you know, that's where it's not pretty. It's not this, yeah. you know, the classic in the U.S. There's so many other spots where it's just this beautiful go yeah, back and forth. Textbooks, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that ain't happen very often. So no, um, no, and and I find it so yeah. So I'm finding I'm rolling those transit trails. I'm finding fresh sign, and I'm just covering ground, moving after them, mm-hmm. and trying to find. Because so often I find, especially where I'm hunting, it's you know if it's a herd, if I call in that like let's say a herd bull or a bigger bull that has cows hears me, they're gonna fuck off. They're yeah. not going to oh, yeah. stick around yeah. anyways. Even if they call back to you, it's going to be, you know, some roundup chuckles. They're pulling their cows and you think that you're playing with them. You're going to put your pack down. Oh yeah, I'm on them now. And I'm going to start calling back forth. And that bull's calling back. Oh yeah. Well, oh no, a little bit farther away. It's a little bit farther away. Yeah. Well, that bull's gone. And you're yeah. just in there. You're doing it for Instagram at that point. That's all you're yeah. doing. And yeah. so it, uh, you have to be in close on these critters. Yeah. That's really what I found. So that's why I'm always trying to move. And then I'll try and get in close. If I, you know, bump my way basically by luck into a herd or I'm on tracks and following tracks, then, you know, then you can start playing and be aggressive. And then you can yeah. start playing with a bull. Or what I found really often is uh, where I've had lots of luck in the past, just like rolling these transit trails, you location bugle you find the like rough direction a bull is and I'm just going to hike there until I'm like, okay, I think he might be 400 yards. I'm just going to hike 400 fucking yards and be like, all right, I think this is it. Hit another location bugle. And then he's 30 yards right there. Yeah. Right. And then you're yeah. just ripping back and forth with them. So it's uh, like I said, I play a total. I, I like to, I like how I elk hunt because it's a lot different than a lot of people, mm-hmm. but it's, yeah, you're, it's, it's not effective. good for TV. And, I, and, the, and the thing is, we talk to guys like you, and you get we had Jordo on, and like I know a lot of successful elk hunters, and you talk to them, and like the consensus is the same about hunting in BC, is that it's not going to be those chuckling back and bugling back and forth encounters where they're going to come in from 200 yards away. No, it's like you have to grind. You're going to have to navigate some nasty-ass shit. You got to get in deep. You got to get in close. And then you got to challenge Bugle when you're in tight. Cause like you said, those bulls, if they feel any pressure, whether it's doesn't matter what it is, another bull, a predator, anything, they're just going to round up their crew and they're going to, they're going to beat a lot of there no matter what. Like they don't, they don't need to stick around there. He's like, I already have my broads here. Why am I going to stick around and like, let you threaten them? Whatever it is you are. I'm just going to get well, out. Of, I'm just going to get out of here. And we have such a, like, an ungulating topography most of the spots that you're hunting elk whether it's river breaks or you know hard cliffs or whatever it is like down where you guys are at from what i've seen or like i said it's where we're at which is like peaks drainages river breaks that they can go 500 yards and then they're in a total different area where there's no bulls around there's not they're not on a transit area anymore and they can just play by themselves they don't have to go five kilometers so yeah yeah they feel zero pressure about doing that yeah and they and they're 
that's the thing is those animals they know how to navigate that terrain they know how to use it for their advantage i mean it's it's what they do they live there and so like for us trying to track them down like even if they move 500 yards like their 500 yards is a lot different than our far 500 yards and like talk about like you must put a lot of miles on just explaining like that just how you hunt and like you just covering ground looking for trails and like man that's those must be some long ass days that you're in there <laughs> yeah it's uh I try and like I shoot for like 10 to 12 kilometers a day Jesus. just like but it's not yeah. like it's not a um I say that but that's like running in a track 10 kilometers a lot of the times where it's like a, a little 4k loop where you're like from right. camp I'm only going three or 4k I'm just doing this huge arc going mm -hmm. through an area and I'm just like I know where that like and I I'll f fucking hammer this all your listeners would be swearing at me by the end but i know where that pocket is and i'm just gonna yeah. like circle that whole pocket and then yeah. i'm gonna like cut straight through it and i'm gonna like run whatever trails there are and i'm just uh -huh. I, like when i look at my tracking app or anything like that and where i went it looks like i'm, I'm deranged i'm just like going wherever <laughs> back around. doubling yeah. back on myself it's just like <laughs> jesus but i mean it's and you got to find what works for for yourself like some yeah, people that yeah. doesn't work right mm -hmm. and for well in some areas that doesn't work yeah yeah and i think yeah. that is a huge part of not only like elk hunting in general elk hunting in bc or any hunting in bc because like we just talked about like depending on what region you hunt and like where pete is it's a lot different from where i am and both of us are a lot different from you are and like you have to find what works for you and not only just like works for your area but works for you personally because like depending on like your physical abilities or like just just other side there's other factors that makes you different from me and me different from Pete and so you have to figure out what works for you and and what works for the area that you're hunting in and it's different for everybody and it's different for every region and you only kind of you, you have to go you have to get out and do it no matter how much information you listen to and like how much you can you know how many podcasts you listen to how many YouTube videos you can watch yeah, that stuff is helpful. And it kind of, you know, gives you some, some hints and some pointers, but you still, you, especially elk honey, you're not like, you have to expect that every time you go out, you're not going to be a successful elk hunting, no matter how much information you listen to. So you have to go out and just take the challenges. Every challenge is different. Just take all those challenges and just keep applying them. Just keep putting like, put in the years, put in the time. Cause then, then, you know, over time you develop a system like you did, which is like, you learned that system by trial and error and like, no, I don't, I've watched so many videos and heard so many podcasts about elk hunting, but I've never heard that approach to it. So it just goes to show you that, you know, you have to, if you're going to be successful elk country, you're going to have to be willing, number one, to put in the time and put in the effort and, and just accept the fact that it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take years and years and years and years and years to, to kind of master and get it down. Um, so, well, and I mean, you wouldn't go on you wouldn't go on a sheep hunt and then come out of it without a sheep and be like like uh, yeah uh, for the first time sheep hunt and be like oh darn anybody that comes from a first time sheep hunt they're like oh it was so cool i learned a lot yeah. you know maybe i yeah. saw a sheep maybe i didn't it was just awesome i'm happy to learn it you know guys go sheep hunting four five six years and then you know by the seventh year they're a little like all right i want to kill a fucking sheep here yeah but, you know, for the, a long period, they don't care. A guy goes elk hunting once, they're out there four days, and they're like, well, what, where are these elk? What's going on? Yeah, they're like, yeah, that yeah. tourist in Jasper going, why don't you let the bears out? I want to see them, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's just <laughs> it, it's a total, a total different game. Like, they're yeah. still animals. It's no different. Yeah. You got to learn them and hunt them the same way you hunt anything else. Yeah. And 
And the other thing is, I think, like, the, the guys that I know that are super, super successful, there's a guy here in Prince George, he's, like, not on Instagram or anything, his name's mm-hmm. Kevin, and that dude kills a lot of elk. He's yeah. been doing it for a long fucking time, and he hunts, let's say, 30 days for, for, for elk every single year. Yeah. I, You know, I've been doing it. I shot my first elk, which was on a farmer's field. It was not an elk hunt. It was a late season elk harvest on a field because that's all it was. Um, and I shot that when I was 15 and I started elk hunting and the year after that. I took September's off. Mom, don't let your kids grow up to be an elk hunter. But it's um, so I started elk hunting after that. I took off September every single year and it was 30 days every year I was elk hunting, elk hunting, elk hunting. And there was years in there. I wasn't successful. So I did 30 days that year and didn't kill an elk, man. Those were some hard, hard, you know, October, November, you're contemplating, you know, you get a successful sheep guy that's killed 10 sheep. Well, I can put him. He he knows where he's going to go. He knows how to hunt those sheep. He knows how to kill those sheep is the biggest thing. I I don't, there's a lot of people that don't. So it's the same thing in my mind. It's just, so much time is needed to do it yeah elk hunting is an interesting game and it's um it for a lot of the successful guys here in bc have been doing it for a really long yeah. time and instagram doesn't show that it doesn't no, show yeah. you know the 10 years of them growing up and then their dad their dad showing them elk hunting or you know they had a hunting mentor that helped them and showed them elk hunting like it doesn't show all that shit so no exactly and the best hunters the best hunters in the world aren't on Instagram. They're not on YouTube. They're not on TV shows. They're guys who just have regular jobs and they go out hunting after work every weekend. They just put the time in year after year after year after year and they figured out ways by themselves through trial and error what works and what doesn't work. And that works for the region they're in. And you're right, man. There's I've I know the same, you know, I know the same guys, obviously in a different area, but there's guys out there that just get it done year in, year out, but they one thing they have in common is just the constant grind and they just don't quit. They just have that mentality and they just love elk hunting. And, but you know, that's the reason they're successful. Yeah. And it's definitely one of those things where you have to fail before you start succeeding. I don't care if you get one off your first year because of luck or anything, but that consistency that all comes from, from failing and being like, okay, what did I do wrong there? Or maybe you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe shit just went sideways you know, and there's nothing you can do a wind shift or anything, but you start learning that and you start learning your topography where, all right, by 11 o'clock, always on this mountainside here, the wind shifts from this direction to this direction. So I either have to be at point A by this time, and then, you know, you have to adjust your hunt, but that's, that's most definitely from getting blown out many times. And like my story, my introduction to elk hunting follows that path. It was like my very first elk I killed. It happened a couple days in, uh and i i was able to kill an elk and i was like oh man like this isn't that hard well it, i think it was like it took me almost four years to kill another one you know what i mean so it's like yeah, yeah like you you know the, the sun's gonna shine on a dog's ass every once in a while like you're gonna get lucky and you know you hear stories of guys shooting a 350 380 inch bull off the road it does happen but if you're gonna be successful year in year out you you got to put in the work like you got to like you said Pete you got to you got to experience those failures and those you know those unsuccessful seasons because that's that's where you learn like that you got to got to take that you got to go through that whole process and, and know what and I don't think people realize that either like 
I fuck up all the time still yeah. in the elk woods. Like I make the stupidest mistakes. Shit that I'm like, oh man, is this your first time chasing after a bull? Like <laughs> that is dumb. Why yeah. do you do that? Like it's and nothing changes out there. It really doesn't. You just, you know, you add a little, you know, one little more tool in the toolbox. That's all it is. Maybe you're gonna remember it. Maybe you're gonna get so jacked up because the bull is screaming at you from 40 yards that it just you take that toolbox and you just dump it in the ditch and you're like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And you run right towards it and maybe you shoot, maybe you don't. Like, I mean, shit happens sometimes. Yeah, well, it's so, true, man. And like, yeah, I'm the same way. Like, I still like you figure me like I remember like not just elk hunting, hunting in general, or just like fuck, man, to be honest, like even like who are we kidding? Like, even like day-to-day life, I do shit and I'm like, really? fuck man i know better than that like what the fuck yeah. is going on here like come on like i you know i i look at my kids sometimes with consternation and be like what the hell's wrong with you but like sometimes i definitely need to look in the mirror sometimes and be like yeah dude like you're better than that come on well i find a lot yeah. too you know if you're on a week-long hunt let's say you know by day five by day six you know you're fatigued you know you might be in shape you know like you can go you got it in the tank but mentally you know you maybe by that sixth afternoon or whatever you're like why am i crashing through the bush like this why am i not slowing down you know and kind of those the most basic of things that you that you're very uh diligent on the first couple of days and all of a sudden you know that fatigue starts setting in and you just start going for a walk <laughs> instead of a hunt and it's like do 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 you know yeah. your partner's looking at you like you're freaking crazy and be like dude we're not sightseeing right now yeah <laughs> this is for real <laughs> Totally. Honestly. And that's, yeah, it's a good point because it was about, let's say three, three, maybe four years ago, I quit doing extended elk trips. I don't anymore. All, mm-hmm. all of my trips, if I'm going into an area, it's four days, four days, right. I'm pulling myself out right. of there. And even if I go home for a night, it doesn't matter or a couple of days, whatever yeah, it is. That. Yeah. That's it. And you know, it makes such a big difference. Like you said, Pete, it's just like, it's the mental fatigue. I don't care if you're uh david goggins following motherfucker what you are you know it does not matter you are going to go in there and you're going to get complacent and you're going to do stupid stupid stuff i shot i shot a bull once completely by luck but it was like day eight of a hunt back when we used to do these long like two-week trips and we had like huge groups of guys we get like six seven dudes and go hammer these different areas and uh i i was i i was calling a bull back and forth bull went quiet I'm like, oh, whatever. He's way away. Not a big deal. It's like 11 o'clock. Have lunch. And I'm like, I called some more. Didn't hear anything back. I'm like, in my head for some reason, by that time, I'm like, oh, yeah, bull's gone. We fucked this one up again. This is so stupid, whatever. And I go down and I'm taking a shit. And I have my rifle leaning against. And I shot that bull from where I was sitting there taking a shit. Because it came in quiet all the way off that damn mountain. And thank God I had my rifle with me. Because it walked out with the one clear oh. right in front of me. My pants are down. I'm like, oh, well, Jesus. And just yeah. got lucky. But I mean. Yeah, you just start making stupid mistakes. Oh, man. Oh. And you're totally right. And it's like, it's always those times when you're like, you get complacent and you get lazy and you get like, you're, you're fatigued, you're mentally exhausted, or you're like calorie deprived. And then you just let one little thing slip. And then like, for, for me, you know, I've done it before where you're like, I didn't dial my sight back to 20 yards. Right. And then you're like, and you just forget about it. And like, you, you I, I've had animals there and you come to full draw and you're like, Oh shit. You just realize because you can tell where your pin is that that ain't right. That, you know, you're not shooting. Like this isn't right. Then you have to draw down and you have to adjust it. And then, then the animal's gone. 
right? You know, and those little tiny, those little tiny, those little tiny steps that you just, you, you forget to take because you're just exhausted, tired, or, or, or it's been a long trip or like you've had a lot of failures, but like you said, if you can, if you could go back and just reset and, and that's why I find the same thing now with my hunting is like, you know, if, if you do a three day trip, those three days are going to be so much more effective. If, if you come back and you reset and then you go for another three days, then just going for an extended long six or seven day trip, you're going to have, in my experience anyway, you're going to have, you know, though you're going to have better chances. You're going to be more, you know, you'd be more aware. You'd be better mentally prepared, physically prepared than you would on like, just trying to drag it out, doing those hardcore ass long 14 day challenges, or, you know, even like seven day challenge, 14 days is a long day or a long trip. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% that it's good to, uh, to reset and, and just rethink your hunt and just let your body recuperate. Well, and, and a big thing that I found, which just in the last couple of years since I did that is you're out there, you should be having fun. You should have a smile on your face. 100%, it, yeah. it doesn't matter if you bust the bull or whatever it is. Uh, you know, honestly, I have made some of the stupidest, stupidest mistakes out there. <laughs> I, I lost a huge bull, like, uh, what was it two years ago it was like lightly raining i had my rain jacket on i was just sitting in my own shit and i'm standing there in a wallow which was i, I should have known so much better the wallow was fresh man like it is it literally just happened but it's lightly raining uh, my hood up on my rain jacket and it's just hammering on there so you can hear it i'm eating a mars bar and i'm looking at my phone trying to figure out where you know where this bowl might have went so dumb i didn't even make a call when i was in there well of course the the bull is five feet away. So I <laughs> turned my head up and this bull swung its head over. And it's, you know, one of the bigger bulls I've ever seen in the piece, probably like a, a great, like 340 to three, 340, 350 bull. Like, yeah, you know, five yards away, right in this thick timber, watch me walk into the wall and watch me do all this stuff. And it busts and it sounds like a dude's fucking running through the bush with a baseball bat, <laughs> just hammering his trees. And I'm just like, man, what are you doing? Yeah. But all I was getting out was, um, yeah, you like you should be out there having fun. Like, yeah. and if you're not, and that's the biggest thing, having those four day trips, you're still like you're not too down on yourself by the end of it. You're still having fun because I've done the like the seven days, and you're just like in a crappy mood by the end of it. And it's yeah. like, hey, why are you out there, man? Like, it's yeah, yeah, and that's the reality of those long trips. Is like, yeah, I mean, like there is, we've all seen it, and like we've all heard of it, and like maybe it's happened. We're like, yeah, you just you you go on a 10 day trip whatever you're whatever you're chasing and then like you pound a pound a pound to punch through and push through it and just like keep going and then like on date the last light of day 10 it happens like yeah that happens right that though the fairy tale stuff of that happened but in reality is like you have to go on a lot of 10 day trips and you have to have a lot of shitty seven eight nine ten days before that happens and like yeah man for me where i'm at now i'd rather just do a three-day trip or even like a week a trip over the weekend and like you know then you come back all week you get time you know shit doesn't fall apart at home it, you know if I, I find i'm just everything's if, if everything at home is locked down and you know at work's locked down and i'm just a better hunter i'm more focused and i seem like i can just concentrate more on what i'm doing and what i need to get done rather than like five days in be like oh man i wonder how things are going at home i wonder what's going on at work and like oh what's you know is this okay is that okay i just f f seem way more focused um when i when i concentrate on those smaller those smaller hunts 
Yeah, this year, like I've got my two weeks off for the main moose hunt, getting away from elk a bit, but I try to do this anyway, like depending on whether I'm hunting elk or moose, we do have seven, we do have like two solid weeks planned out, but this year I planned it. So right in the middle of that, um, it's one of our kids' birthdays. So it's like, all right, dead smack in the middle, haul the trailer back to town, you know, get reset, have a nice shower, night sleep, some family time, catch up with everybody and then head back out the next day you know no rush to be there you know daybreak the other two guys will be out there or whatever in camp doing their thing and it's just it, it's a crazy reset even if it is just for a night it's yeah. it makes a big difference yeah it, it's sure. huge it really is and i think the the whole instagram side is like pushed everybody especially in the last like year into this just yeah. like ridiculous side of like yeah. Joe Rogan, David Goggins, I need sock. I need it to, I, you know, I want to mm-hmm. kick my, my own ass and all that stuff. And we've taken it way past what it's, I think even beneficial to most people. Like, yeah. I, I like, hey, man, I, I like, like I, I'm going to be honest, you know, like maybe I'm a little guilty of that too. Right. Like, you know, just like, but you're right. It's like having that mindset, you know, that, that, yeah, like, yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Well, and I mean, man, I'm, I'm came from the, like my military brain still clicks in and it's still like, that's like, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm up at four. I need to get my workout in mm-hmm. and I want to be, you know, like in the shop working by six o'clock and do all this stuff. And then, and you know, and burnout is a reality and then you get burnout and then you're like, all right, maybe I can, you know, I'm going to give myself a couple extra hours of sleep or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like it's. Yeah. And, and that's I, a process that I'm slowly learning. Like I was training for this 100 this one, this ultra marathon. And like, I just kept like, I have, I was having some pain and like training leg, like weightlifting legs twice a week and running, you know, 60 to 80 K a week. And I just kept going and going and going and I'd feel pain. And I was just like, yeah, I just got to go. I just got to go. And like, you have this mindset of like, yeah, I just got to push through it. I just got to keep going, keep going. And then I had to start developing this hip pain and I kept doing, it. I was like, fuck it. You just got to push through the pain, push through pain and pain. And then like one morning I got up and I couldn't walk. And I was like, what the fuck? And like, that was two months ago and I still have agonizing hip pain. And it was like, man, like <laughs> you gotta have, like, you gotta be smarter, man. You got it. Like, you know, and I, now I've, I've kind of rethought, like, I still love to get up. I still love to do my workouts early. And that's not mostly just because that's the best time for me personally to do it because my family's still sleeping work had the craziness of work hasn't started yet so that's a time where i can actually get uninterrupted work and just focus on like hey i could probably get a workout done in an hour if i do it in the morning if i don't do it anymore in the morning it's going to take me two hours because i'm going to be on the phone every five fucking minutes or the kids are going to need something you know that you're just getting pulled every which way so i still do it that way but i definitely learn have to be more more conscious and like appreciate the time of like yeah like your body does need rest you do need to be smarter with your training program you do need help in certain areas like you have to listen to smart content not just like oh yeah be hardcore content um i got something for you guys to stop the burnout listen up have a nap (laughs) (laughs) works and i know it (laughs) doing it this year Yeah, yeah everybody loves an afternoon now <laughs> even the animals <laughs> they have a little nap too in the afternoons you're good yeah well I, i'm yeah. gonna i'm gonna tell you pete i'm i'm not, I'm not much of a napper i i can't nap if i'm tired i'll be tired all day but uh we'll leave that we'll leave the napping to you 
So moving off, uh, we're kind of rolling through time here, Tanner. Um, Moving off, Alec, talk a little bit about your caribou hunt last year. Oh, it was a, it was a dream, man. It's, um, if I could, if I could give, I would give up, you know, if I could just do that hunt every single year for the rest, I would honestly be very, very fucking tempted just to give everything else up. It was, um, yeah, so headed north on a, on an LEH draw for caribou and, and got into, you know, got super lucky with that draw. I don't think that draw is going to be around very much longer. I don't think caribou is going to be around if we're being honest. Like we all know the direction that that's going. I think we have caribou hunting. Hopefully the animals are still there. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. Yes. Be clear about that. Um, (laughs) um, So I don't, I don't feel too bad saying this. I don't feel like I'm ruining anything because I, anybody that knows where I was at, I was up in Atlin on this caribou tag. Um, I don't feel like I'm ruining anything. If you're mad about it, fucking send me a DM. I don't care. It's um, so went up to Atlin and got into just some of the most beautiful country ever. Like, I mean, it's, there's all these spots across BC that a person, you know, we use hunting as an excuse to go travel in. Well, I mean, I wish I was smart enough to take time off in June and actually go travel and see some of these places because it is one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. It's just, um, so we head up to Atlin uh totally on just a pin drop on a map dive into the area that we want to go into they have no motor vehicle restrictions there which is super weird so you can drive right up into the alpine and i mean we're talking yeah and it is it is weird like i mean we're up there caribou hunting and you have guys on motorbikes busting through caribou herds because they're coming up and they're driving their motorbikes up to the top peaks where they're sheep it's the weirdest thing crazy like wild but anyways uh yeah basically like the first day when we get in there into the spot that we want to get to we know the camp on where we're going to camp old mining road from um aerial maps blow over the road and here's you know we start the trip with 60 50 60 caribou standing right in front of us and you're just like all right i know how this trip is going to go so we slotted uh we slotted 10 days to try and find a really really nice bowl and actually we ended up that first herd that we saw had a had uh, that bull that I ended up shooting, but had this bull and I was lucky enough to, uh, I made a stock on him, blew that stock, totally fucked it up. Um, like I do lots of the time, just totally fucked it up. <laughs> Watch the bull crest over the horizon. Think I'll never see the thing again. Yeah. Uh, super old, nice bull. And, um, and just, it was one of those trips where the, the positive side, you know, we had the camera guy, camera guy that was with us, Matt, absolute beauty. He's just like, you couldn't get that guy down if you tried. Just an awesome guy. He's happy the whole time. I'm happy. We're seeing caribou every day. We're hunting this long, like seven kilometer long, seven, eight kilometer long drainage. And you can glass from any, and there's peaks on the whole kind of, uh, well, on the whole rim of it, basically, except for like two or three exit spots. So you can just like hike anywhere you want and you're glassing down into it. And the topography is so cool with the, you know, like waist high buck brush and taller buck brush that caribou are just kind of like, they'll disappear and pop back up and then they disappear again. So you're watching areas all day and you're just seeing new caribou come up and yeah, it was really, it's hard to even kind of grasp or comprehend. And I watched video back sometimes, look at photos and it's none of it does it justice, but it's just one of those wild areas where we saw i'd say 150 caribou in that trip you know 
some really, really good bulls. There was bulls in the distance that we never even went to look at. My bull ended up coming back. That big bull that I busted on the first morning came back on day four, and I got lucky and ended up stalking in on him and his herd and ended up uh, ended up killing him there. And I how couldn't far, be any How happier. far was he when you shot him? Uh, he was uh, 260. So on camera, it looks at about 40 yards, but it was at, uh, yeah. yeah, it was 260. So the first time I actually got in on him, it was at 160 mm-hmm. or 160 to 180. I've been trying to hunt with this lever gun, this uh, Winchester. That's why I asked because I, I knew, and anybody who's seen that film, and I'll put a link up to that film in the show notes, but I know you're hunting with a lever and you're right. It does. And when you're, when you get the camera and you're like, Holy Christ, that thing is right there. But then, yeah, you know, just from like when it pans out and then the angle moves, you could tell it's a lot, it is a lot further. Yeah. So actually that first time that I busted on, or that we got in on that bull, he busted me as I was like, they're, they're switched on in that really close stuff. Yeah. And if they're, if they're not, um, the thing that I found is those caribou, which is so cool. If they're not spooked, they'll walk right up to you. And if yeah. they're spooked, they're just like really dialed in. So basically I was coming up the first time I kind of crawled under the Creek, came up this little washout and he was on me. Like as soon as I came up. So uh, when I laid down and range, he's 160 yards. And with that lever gun through that Skinner site, it's just like a, a like a ghost ring peep. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it. It's just like a, a blob of a blob of color. And you're like, man, I, I know there's like, I'm behind a shoulder here, but am I going to shoot the right bull? Is it the wrong bull? So that's how it didn't work out the first time. And then, yeah, so the second time crawl up and we keep having, like we had him at 400 yards. And we're laying down on this hill, watching him in the distance. And he's coming, kind of com- coming up this slope and they're just feeding and bedding and kind of slowly moving themselves around. And man, I was tempted just to grab, grab a uh, Jeff's rifle right there and, you know, kill it all <laughs> scenic out on the, on the field. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it with it. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it with the lever gun. I'm going to do it with the lever gun. Jeff screaming at me, you fucking idiot. What are you doing? This is like, I'm doing a bow, but dumber. And this is so stupid. And so um, anyways, we crawl down, they roll over the hill. We crawl down and there's just like a long plateau, but it's like knee high grass. Well, you don't think much of it, especially with a scoped rifle. You can always find something in there to shoot at. Well, as soon as you get that stupid ghost ring, that Skinner sight, I'm like, we're rolling up on this bull, and he's at, he's at, yeah, t- maybe 300, and then we get in close, and he's at two, and then you know he's kind of like moving his way through, and where we can get on him, he keeps just fluctuating through there, and I'm pretty good, like I'm confident out to 200 yards with that thing. Now confident about to 300 with that thing, which is a, as far as I would push that damn thing, but yeah, it's all good. You know, I could see the bull. I even like a kneel down, lay down. And I can see that bull. And then you get behind that skinner and it's just nothing. And you're just like, God damn. So played back and forth and then ended up just grabbing chest rifle anyways and proved him right. And, and, uh, sucked that one up, but I couldn't watch that bull walk away yeah. another time. Amazing. So it was, what an amazing oh, bull. Very nice. It was su- super cool. Yeah. I, f- I feel lucky, man. It's, you know, to kill a truly old animal like that. Like I talk about wanting to hunt and kill big elk or whatever it is well the the truth is to kill an old old animal like that i mean his one shovel was snapped off the other shovel was rounded right off he had no bone density left to him like he had weird parts on his antler that were just like you could break off with your finger and um his whole one bezel was snapped off tips broke off everywhere and yeah it's just you walk up to an animal like that no teeth left in him he's just like haggard you're like man it's a I feel lucky. Like it's not an experience yeah. a lot of people do. And it actually it it's interesting because had 
a couple of bios and some people reach out that manage that area and manage some other areas after that and ask a question like, you know, is, is how they're managing that on LEH? Is that how you would like it? Do you think that's proper? And it got me thinking lots and I, it, I can't get it out of my head now. Like, you know, would a more res- and I'm never one and I'm going to be a lot of people that hate this, but I'm never one to give the government more power and stuff, but would putting, you know, have, have more areas that you don't hunt every year uh, harder to draw whatever it is and have a better hunting opportunity is that you know is that something that more people would be interested in i can tell you right now after the way that hunt went i would you know not go hunt caribou again for five years if i know on the sixth year i can pull that tag again and be able to go have that level and that it was just such an incredible hunt yeah i think that'd be the I think that'd be the hardest thing to get people on board with. I totally agree with what you're saying, but unfortunately we know our system and that, and Absolutely. Yeah, there's no guarantee that you'd ever get it again per se. Yeah. yeah. I, I do understand what you're saying. And yeah, if you could go up and yeah. not guaranteeing you'd harvest one, but guaranteeing you that you're going to have action all around you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Well, sure. and, and it's a debatable talk. I know I feel that way, even with like the mule deer and the elk down here. And it's like, you know, it's open, you know, I, I just come across so many elk that are five points that are just laying there and like three point, we have a four point restriction on mule deer coming across four, three point mule deer in four point season. And like, you know, and even like the moose, you know, that spike fork moose. And it's like, you come across so many three by three moose that are just dumped because people pan, they get excited and they would rather people would rather shoot and kill the wrong animal than miss the opportunity of killing the right animal. And it's just horrible. So like you, yeah. you have those where like, yeah, you know what, maybe they should put, get rid of the moose hunt, put it all on LEH and just give out more of them. Or, you know, with the elk, same thing, put the elk, open it for any, any bull, but just put it on LEH or same with the mule deer. But you know, it, it, that's the question is like, will you get it back? Or if you give control to somebody else, are they going to give you control back? And like, it's such yeah. a, the way our, the way our, 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 the way we manage our wildlife in this province, it's just such a, you know, who, who knows, who knows what's going on or, or where it's going to go. And it takes, it would take, like, I mean, to do it properly would not be to put these animals all on LEH. It would take like a full restructure of the entire wildlife system here in yeah, BC, absolutely. which I don't think is even a bad thing. I think it no. probably is needed at this point, no. but it's, yeah, like I'm not, I'm not one to say just throwing on LEH, definitely not saying that, but I just know that, you know, this hunting for opportunity versus quality is just, it's not, you know, we're sorry, managing for opportunity versus quality is not, I don't think yeah. it's, it, it, it's a topic that a person could rattle on and on and on about and end up pissing everybody off on both sides. So uh, it, it's interesting. I just know that, yeah, man, that caribou hunt was, it was one for the books. It yeah, was just, no doubt. it was unreal. And, yeah. You guys had a wicked trip. I think Jeff got a moose too, didn't he? So. Yeah, he did. So we, uh, we end up shooting this caribou for those, for anybody that doesn't know the story. So we end up shooting this caribou and it's like, you know you always kill kill an elk and it's 35 degrees or it's last light or it's yeah. some something shitty about it right and you're just like doing a pack out at night in the heat whatever we kill this bull breeze is coming in it's like 10 o'clock i'm like oh we have all day i can see camp down there what a difference right like just yeah. life is so good <laughs> so we're like well we're just gonna watch for bears it's the only worry so we break this thing down we actually we go back because we rolled up there with old packs because we were just like running after these things 
go back get packs come back do the whole you know get hero photos and do that all that crap do the video side pack this bowl out in one trip because we didn't want to go back up the hill so it was a it was a it was a, a gag right? it sucked like one of the worst packouts i've done get to the bottom jeff's laying on his back we had just dumped both the packs i'm sitting on the tailgate we're just like can't even get a beer in us we're just drinking water at this point like you know you're rough when and uh jeff rolls over and he's like there's a moose in camp i'm like yeah okay <laughs> fuck it whatever man i like look over and he's like no man there's a fucking moose in camp i look over there's this bull. Well, you, and you almost couldn't even tell there's a bull at that point because kind of flatter antlers and how he was standing. But yeah, he's standing on the road right beside camp. And I'm like, on the like truck quad trail right beside camp. I'm like, what the fuck? And so I put glass up and he's a smaller bull. And I'm like, and Jeff, the whole time, he just wanted to get a bull or wanted to get a moose, wanted to get a moose, wanted to get a moose. I'm like, Jeff, he, he's not huge. Do you want him? Well, that that little Italian fucker's already laying down. He's got his right <laughs> leg. He's chilling around. Like, Give me a range. I'm like, all right. Give him range on it. 360. And yeah, the moose took one step into the, like, 100 yards below camp. Took one step into the buck brush. And Jeff put one behind the shoulder. That moose dropped right where it was. I'm like, I guess we got a caribou and a moose. Right on. No so, doubt. And awesome. for a guy, for a guy like Jeff, who's who's built a reputation of doing like these hard ass sheep hunts like 100 day sheep hunts and like winter goat hunts and doing that and then to just drop an a an animal right on the road he must have just been like you know what this is way fucking easier than i've been doing it the other <laughs> <Yeah>. way <laughs> oh, i've been yeah. doing it wrong all this time <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and what and, and the stupid part of all that is the hardest thing about that moose was trying to find the fucking thing after we shot it. It took one step <laughs> off the road. That's it. Took one step off the road. It took us an hour and a half to find this thing. We drove up and down that road. We walked it back and forth. I'm like, I swear, you know, this brush, it was ready. Yeah, it only it took evaporate? one step. I'm like, did it get up and run? Did we not see it? What it is? But that buck brush is just like, yeah. there's so many of those deep dips and that buck brush is so thick. That moose dropped and the buck brush literally just like engulfed it oh, yeah. and sucked it up. And you don't think a moose can go missing, but yeah, we went back and forth and it was like right at last night. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is bad. And then all of a sudden look over and here's this moose laying like four feet from the road. I'm like, oh God, we're dumb. <laughs> yeah, looking then, too yeah. far. Oh, oh, first time, good. first and only time I've ever been able to hook the truck up to, to an animal and just drag them up right, drove them right up to camp. Eh? Like there's shots and there's the, the Cape Dog caribou with all the meat, this moose laying hole and the wall tent right behind it. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, life's good, man. That's, yeah. It doesn't get any easier than that. Especially no the moose. Yeah. No yeah, doubt. Exactly. Well, well, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. It's always a chat. It's always a fun when you stop by and you chat i know we talk uh every once in a while on the phone and through text but not enough obviously so just remind everyone where they can uh check out what you got going on and, and get to the web page and, and all that so our website is uh, frontiersmangear.ca uh all the social that we have we only have instagram we've been banned off facebook too many times they won't let us back so uh, just at frontiersmangear on instagram and uh, I don't really run my personal page on Instagram, just that, that, that work one. And, you know, that's where you can find all of our stuff from knives to leather goods to everything else that we're doing or, you know, all this stupid crap that we get up to in the, in the fall. But yeah. no, I really appreciate you having me on and, you know, it's, you guys are always putting out such good content and awesome stuff. And yeah, I'm looking forward to, uh, looking forward to seeing what you guys get up to this year, Kevin, that, that post you have of, you know, walking through that with that massive wide thick elk that you have keeps oh. scrolling up on my Instagram and you're driving me nuts right now. I just want to go elk hunting. So it's, uh, I talk about it. motivation right there. 
Oh yeah, yeah exactly. That, that was a story. Sim- <laughs> and I, we've already talked about it on the show, so I won't re- replay it. But that was just one of those instances where I was in the right time in the right place. But just same scenario as your bull. It's just a really old bull. When I got to it, had no teeth, and like I actually sent a tooth away to get it aged. But you know, some of the guys that are talking to they figured that thing was like fourteen years old, which is which is pretty remarkable. So. But uh, okay, man, thanks. And uh, yeah, let's do it again. Uh, best of luck to you in the season. Um, I know you're going to do good. Uh, you got anything to add, Pete? Oh, just thanks again. It was nice meeting you. And uh, Yeah, really yeah. nice meeting you, man. Good luck this year. Can't wait to see what you what you bring on your end as well. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, it's uh look forward to you guys. Okay, thanks a lot. See you guys. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning in to the Focus Hunting Podcast, coming at you as part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I want to take a quick sec and make a huge shout-out and say thanks to the sponsors of this show, uh, starting with BC's premier archery shop, Hardcore Archery, located right here in Kelowna, British Columbia. Um, AKU Boots, they've uh, they've been supporting the show for a while now. Uh, both Pete and I, we've been running these boots for well over a year. You know, hunting in BC, we face probably the harshest backcountry environment in the world. We've got deserts, Rocky Mountain, extreme coastlines, you name it. Uh, and these are the only boots that have lasted me more than one hunting season. So, you know, they're definitely worth the investment. You owe it to your feet to uh, use AKU boots. Uh, use promo code FOCUS and get 15% off right. Uh, they're probably going to cringe because I always pronounce the name wrong, but uh, it is what it is. Onyx Maps, now available in Canada. Stay tuned, guys. We've partnered up with Onyx, and we're going to be getting you guys some more information on Onyx and their mapping system for Canada. Uh, for those of you in the U.S. who've already got access to it and most likely been using the app, Pete and I got early access to this app, and to be honest, it rocks. Um, but like I said, we're going to get you more information on that, and we're going to be able to get you guys uh, a little bit of discount. Um, so lastly, if you guys could please leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening. We really appreciate the support. Love you guys. Until next time. Thanks. Thanks.